0: if you live in the past, then you fail to be present in the present. And therefore, you don't have a future. If you live in the past, you fail to exist in the present. And therefore, you have no future.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Lakers locker room. I'm your co-host Tejon Graham. Alongside me is my guy, the one, the only, Mr. Jason Little. Jason, how are you doing today, man?
2: Fantastic. Thank you, Tejon.
1: Today we have another great guest today. Man, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) This guy's resume is ridiculous. Public speaker, author, coach co-host of the Perspective podcast and many more titles on his resume. Please welcome to Lakers Locker Room, Mr. Kwame Osei. Kwame, how are you doing today, man?
0: I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. I'm blessed to be uh, talking to you two today. And uh, it's, it's an honor to be here. So thank you for having me
1: really and really, truly. How have you been? Have you been staying safe wherever you are right now? Where are you, by the way?
0: I'm I'm in Kingston right now, Kingston, Ontario. Mm-hmm. uh I'm a coach for Queen's University, as uh, you know. Uh, so I've been in Kingston most of 2021. Um, I'm staying safe, uh, being smart, and uh, everybody in my family is good. So it's it's definitely a blessing right now.
2: So have you been handling the pandemic? Because I know in Kingston, it got a little wild a couple times there.
0: Yeah, you know what? Kingston's uh, like, we, we've we had a few uh, episodes, um, a, little out, a few outbreaks. But for the most part, really and truly, it's been pretty good in Kingston for the That's most awesome. part. Um, like when, when the lockdown, um, when the doors open, uh, for the lockdown, we were one of the first uh, cities to, to have pretty much back to normal minus the masks and all that stuff. Uh, so it, it's been fairly good. I think it's because of the demographic of uh, Kingston. Kingston's a lot of like uh, military people and government workers and stuff. So, you know, military people take things serious. You know, they, yeah. they go by the, by the rules. And and then the, we have students from Queens and whatnot, but Queens is doing a really good job uh, managing everything on campus. So. Uh, Kingston has been pretty good, to tell you the truth. The only issue with, with the Kingston when we get our outbreaks, like in, in the summer, there was a big outbreak at one of the nail salons. And what had happened was uh, at that time, Kingston was open, but Toronto wasn't open and Montreal and Ottawa weren't open. So we had an influx of like a lot of people driving two hours just to come get their nails done and, and, and their hair done and stuff like that. So uh, that was what kind of uh, spread the outbreak. So. But the people in Kingston have been pretty good. I've been. That's up. awesome.
1: Yeah. Prayers for that. Seriously. It's been a hard year for everybody, but I'm glad that where you are right now, you staying safe and that's just the main thing.
0: Yeah, man. I heard, I heard, um, yeah, there was something going on at, at your school at Nipissing, I heard, uh, was it a volleyball team or something like that?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're not gonna go into details, but yeah, it was started off with someone who's associated with the volleyball team, then it spread to the soccer team and then that required yeah. us to shut down in November. So we
2: haven't been we back. Also, since. What was the other that, outbreak
0: yeah. there. Like no workouts, nothing.
1: No, like the gym is still closed. Oh wow, yeah, that's serious.
2: That's we sad. had there's a couple came down. I think it was from Brazil, and they didn't quarantine, and they got a whole apartment building sick. I don't know if it, I was talking. To, like I have a house. Brazilian we, variant. What's that? Brought the v-
0: Brazilian variant.
2: Yeah, into North Bay, so that's why we had the second shutdown. And um, like where I have my rental unit up in North Bay, we were talking with the neighbors. He's an older guy, and they were saying it's either um. An apartment complex by the school or it's one that's near like a shopper's drug mart. So it was kind of like a, an, a pretty like public area where there's a lot of people. So it was just it was brutal. Whole everybody in the apartment got, you know, pretty well infected. So mm. yeah.
0: Wow. And but there's no there hasn't been any deaths, right?
1: No, there have been. You have been? There have been deaths, yeah. Oh shoot. Oh, wow. That's why they that's why it continued because there was some deaths and that required us to like continue even though like they come out I think they went to the red zone now there's still not a lot there's still not is back in the gym like they even sent the email saying the RGSN is still closed so it's been
0: yeah it's yeah. real there man wow
1: it's real it's real wow. anyways we're gonna get right into it um so you yeah. talked on it just now but congratulations you know you recently named the head coach of the Queens Women's you know football club so can you just talk a bit about how the opportunity came up and how excited you are for this new opportunity
0: Man, um, for first and foremost, like it came out because of my my head coach uh, for the men's team, Steve Snyder, who's a good friend of mine. Um, he he had heard through the athletics that you know they wanted to uh, get a head coach for the women's team because they've had, we've had women's football for years, but it's been labeled powder puff football. And we're kind of trying to get away from that label just because of everything that's been associated with it in the past hasn't been taken seriously. So they just want to bring some uh, legitimacy to the sport of women's football. And they felt that they needed a head coach and somebody to establish structure and a culture there. So um, Steve knows me, knows the type of person I am, and uh, he felt it would be a good opportunity for me. Initially, I said No. Um, just because, man, I, got, I just got a lot on my plate, you know, uh, and I got a young family, you know, I got a wife and son I got to give attention to also. So I was kind of like not really feeling because I, I didn't think I could handle the uh, extra, extra um, tasks. But the more I learned about um, the history of the sport and the the ladies that want to be involved and the, and the actual team, I learned that the team has like a board of directors and everything. So they had a lot of things in in place for me to kind of step in and kind of oversee things, you know? So I realized it wasn't going to take as much time as I initially thought. And then I, I thought, I just thought about, you know, the impact it could have, you know, the impact it could have, uh, with myself being involved and the people I could, I could, uh, tap in with and, and network with to help bring legitimacy to this game. And, um, in the past I've coached us uh, a bunch of females in the past, uh, well, before Queens, I was a high school teacher for seven years. I was a high school teacher, so I, I, I was a coach also for that for that school. I was a head coach for that school, and I also ran like a football academy and a sports performance class. So in my football academy, like I'm teaching these kids how to play football, I'm, I'm training them all throughout the year, right? And there's there was a few females in that class and on my uh, football teams, and I noticed a huge difference in them from when they first registered to the end of whenever we were done like there was a huge difference in terms of physical ability and sheer confidence and i i, I distinctly remember that and i just felt like man if Football can do that too. Like these these few women. Imagine what it could do to a whole team and a whole whole province full of uh, uh, women that are empowered. You know. So I mean. So I felt I felt that 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 on my heart to you know at least get, get, get give attention to that for as long as I can. You know. And then you know, hopefully in the future, um, they'll have like their own like females running everything that that have been well equipped to run it.
2: I just want to do uh double check with this. It, I was, you know, scrolling through social media it was it's women's flag football, correct?
0: Yes, it's women's flag football. It's not tackle. So,
2: football. in terms of coaching, how has that been different and like how have you had to adapt to flag football versus the you know, traditional football?
0: Good question. Oh, uh, well, we haven't officially started yet. Um we're still we're still uh kind of in your situation. Um we're hoping to have a spring camp in the end of uh this month. Um what um, you know that's depending on uh, COVID rules, but uh, this year we're not going to really have a season because of COVID. Um, the plan is to have a spring camp, and then next year actually have a season. Um, but there there is a difference in rules. For instance, uh, we play twelve man football in, in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Football um, for this flag flag league, it's eleven person on the field, right? Eleven people on the field, so. Uh, that's a little different. There's no tackling, obviously, uh, but there is uh, uh, contact on the line of scrimmage. So uh, there's a lot of similarities between uh, the flag game and the tackle game minus the physicality of the sport. Um, but scheme wise, it could we we can because I, I have some coaches on my staff that are used to the 11, mat, 11 person game from uh, down south and whatnot. So scheme wise, it's not going to be that hard because we've all. Everybody's played bad in, right? I went to <laughs> coaching clinics down south that I had to learn the eleven person game. So um I don't think it's gonna be that different. It's just about studying film and understanding the rules of the game. So at the end of the day, it's football. Yeah, that is true. Yeah.
1: Congratulations and on once again on the opportunity. I think you're gonna do great things. So good luck.
0: Appreciate that, bro
1: anyway so let's switch gears so let's talk about your upbringing you know you were born in Ghana West Africa you moved GTA, to Canada at the age of stand up, let's go <laughs> you moved to the Canada you moved to Canada at the age of four and you yeah. reside in Toronto you, you grew up in the Rexdale area you know I'm from Scarborough so obviously Rexdale is probably like a good half an hour away from me when you go downtown mm-hmm. on a good day but um, Rexdale is not a the easiest place to grow up obviously so, so let's talk about that transition from when you first came to Canada and living in that Rexdale area
0: um yeah so yeah i grew up i was raised in uh i was born in ghana came to canada age of four, and uh i grew up in a harsh environment man i grew up in a harsh environment and at that time i didn't realize it was a harsh environment like i grew up in an environment where the um the statistics just go against you you know you're expected to be one of a few things you're expected to uh uh, get involved with gangs and, and drugs and violence you're expected to get locked up at an early age you're expected to uh die at an early age. And if you make it past all that, you're expected to end up with a low-paying job. So these are the things that I seen growing up. These were these were the expectations that were placed on me. This was a stereotype that I saw with physically with my eyes. And, and the stereotypes are all cool and dandy and could be funny if you really think about it, but then when you're in it, when you're actually in it and you realize you are part of the stereotype, it's not that funny. When you realize that your friends that you grew up with are slowly trickling away, whether uh, they're 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 losing their lives or they're getting locked up and that you realize that you're part of a gang culture now, it's not that funny, you know? So um, that was what, what was placed around me. And, you know, I always tell people um, the, 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 the the people that the world calls villains were my heroes. You know, the people that were real called villains were my heroes. I mean, like uh, I grew up idolizing guys on on in my area that got the fast money. You know, had money, had jewelry, had all the girls, had nice cars, had the respect. Right, and that was the biggest thing—the respect people looked up to them. and those are people I idolize, and that's how I started to trickle down that that path because I wanted power, I wanted respect. So it it was a it was a tough um, tough upbringing, but I wouldn't change it for the world. To tell you the truth, because uh, it's given me the ability to uh, do so many things. Like you know, I, I I'm book smart and street smart. I, I have a tough exterior because of what I've been through, and it's created the man I am today. So I'm able to tap into so many different roo- uh, rooms. Because of my upbringing and uh, um, was it easy? No. Is it for everybody? No. Was it safe? No. But uh, it's something I went through and and it's a story i like to share to to, um, help those who are living that life right now know that they can come out of it
1: you know growing up obviously like we just talked about you know obviously life wasn't easy but i think the beauty about too about sports is that you know sports gives you an outlet you know every time there's stuff going through your life you can go on either basketball court hockey rink football field, and everything that's going on in your life can be erased for those two hours you can just relax so with that being said growing up was football the only sport you played with the other sports or other interests that you had at a young age
0: um well first and foremost so just going on what you said, man, like football saved my saved my life. I'm gonna be 100, Football saved my life. If it wasn't for football, I wouldn't be here talking to you, you gentlemen today. I definitely wouldn't be here. So um that's also part of the reason why I give back so much in any way I can, because um, this sport has opened opportunities for me and it's distracting me from the streets. You know what I mean? So uh, that was a big thing. But uh the first my first sport was actually was actually soccer, bro. My first sport was soccer, you know. I come from an African household, you know, soccer is just, is this it? I wanted to play football from when I was in grade three, but my mom wouldn't let me, My mom wouldn't let me, you know, oh, it's it's, it's it's too rough, it's too rough, you're going to get hurt, you know, <laughs> and all of that. And uh, I had to wait till I was in grade nine to play football. So soccer was my first sport. Um, I'm from Rexdale, so obviously, I, I played basketball at some point. Everybody from from the urban environment played basketball, you know, I was in the best, but I could hold my own, you know, I could hold my own. Uh, I think I was, I was a little too physical for basketball. Uh, but honestly, I played every sport you could think of. I, I, I could play, uh, I played baseball, um, same. I played floor hockey. I couldn't really skate, but I could play floor hockey and all that stuff. Uh, and uh, what else? I I love racket sports. I, I play tennis. Um, I was actually pretty good at tennis. Um, I could play squat. Anything you could think. I'm I'm just an athlete. You like we're all athletes here. You know? Yeah, we love sports. You know, and sports uh, sports was a distraction. You know, from 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 the from the pressures of society. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So once you got a grip on football, you know, that led you obviously all the way to St. Francis Xavier, all the way in the, the East, East coast of the country. So what was that experience like playing at St. Francis Xavier?
0: Man, St. was a great place for me to be at. Um, I think it was the right school for me, for me to be at because uh, of many things, you know, I, I entered that place as a, as a juvenile delinquent, you know, I entered that place as, as a, as a knucklehead. And I came out as a man, you know, and I came out with, with, people that I consider family. That place definitely helped me grow into the man I am today. Um, It was, it wasn't easy though. Um, My first year there, I struggled. I struggled in so many different aspects, struggled to connect with people um, just uh, culturally and and just through communication. I didn't know how to interact with people from from, uh, different environments, you know, because I was just coming from Rexdale and 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 also Montreal so I'm I'm from the city you know I'm a city guy along with that so I had I had trouble my first year I had tr- trouble adapting to my environment and what had happened was uh, I got angry I was an angry guy inside when you feel like you don't fit in you put on a shell and then you just feel like the world is against you You know, so I started looking at things from uh, me perspective instead of looking at it from from uh, everyone perspective or from the out from uh, objective perspective. So um, I got angry and uh, I struggled my first year. I almost got kicked out. almost got kicked out of school. Like literally the dean of students sent me an email saying I was getting expelled. Literally, I'm not even lying to you. So um, I was fortunate that I had a a couple of people that believed in me. And uh, defending me, and uh, you know, just took a chance on me, and I, I think they're they're happy that they did back me up because I ended up turning it around. You know, I invested more time into my craft, and invested more time into school. I understood the opportunity that was in my hand, and I took it seriously, and and I I did a lot of great things. We got to a point where um, I became an academic all Canadian. Um, in my last year, I I was. Uh, Co-chair of the Varsity Varsity Council, um, I was the president of the Black Students Association there. Um, I was a captain for the team. I, I was playing for Saint FX football for th- my last three years. I won a bunch of community service awards. I was pretty much the poster boy of the school, literally. Like my, they put a picture of me on their on their bus, you know. And it's it's crazy because I was the guy in first year, like the one of the most hated, one the most hated uh, players from, by all the coaches and and the staff and people on campus. Everybody was saying negative things about me. I was expected to get kicked out. I was I was a thug. I was not supposed to be in that school to turn it all around. I turned, I turned my, my trials into triumph to a point where I'm being celebrated and being, being appreciated for things I did. So, um, San effects is a great place, man. I grew a lot. And that's why I stay connected to them because if it wasn't for that place, I wouldn't be where I am today.
2: So I've heard, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's, it was true back then, but today, well, Santa effects is, you know, known as a party school, very social environment. Would you say that the social aspect of people was able to kind of bring out, you know, more of your inner self.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. same Joseph's is a very good party school. It is a very good party school. Uh, there is, uh, you know, a lot of socializing going on, but at the same time, it's a very good academic school. Also, so <laughs> <laughs> I think um, finding balance between the two helped me. You know, when I was too focused on the partying side, and I had friends that were really too focused on the partying side that never ended up graduating that hurt that hurt them. But I always always had my priorities straight. Um, Even when I was bad, even my first year, like I wasn't getting expelled because of grades. I was getting on the verge of getting expelled because of behavior. Like even when I was bad, I passed all my classes, although they weren't great marks, like they were like fifties and sixties. I was passive. Right. So I always kind of like knew I was, I had to handle my business in school. Um, I actually pretty much, I, I personally, I felt university was easier than high school. I don't know about you guys, but personally, I felt it was easier than high school, maybe because I didn't try in high school, but uh, <laughs> university, you know, you don't get that much, that, that many assignments, you know, um, you, if, if, you, if you, I shouldn't be saying this on, on a podcast, but I just felt like I didn't have to go to every class, you know, like, as long as I kind of knew what was coming up, you know, I, I knew the assignment that was coming up. I knew that when exams were coming up, or it was good. I didn't have so many tedious little assignments, you know, and yeah. like, I'm not, I don't work good that way um but uh i personally i felt like university was a little bit easier than high school but um going back to your point did socialization help it helped it definitely helped um mainly i would say this it helped a lot because not even because of the time there it helped me now because when i went to St. effects when i left rexdale i left my bubble i left my Mm -hmm. environment And I put myself in a position to be able to interact with so many people from all over Canada and all over the world. Like now I'm well connected with people all across the country, people I never would have met with, like people that live in from B.C. to uh, Newfoundland. Like I have friends all over there. I have friends in the Middle East. I have friends in Africa. I have friends in in the United States in, in South South America. I'm connected to so many people, all because we all came to this one school and we vibe together. We connected together. So um yeah, social 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 aspect that definitely helped me a lot with what I'm doing now
1: touching on what you just said too like when you said you left the bubble i agree so much too because when you think about it you know it's so easy to get comfortable in surroundings you know you have everything where you are like you know you have the same people that you know the same barber you go to the same school you go to the same friends you have like my dad actually had a term for it when i was younger it's called stucky you know basically like you're stuck in your ways like you're so comfortable in where you are that you're not willing to let yourself grow so mm-hmm. with that being said you know from your first year until you left Saint FX what was the biggest aspect in your life that you felt like you grew as a person because you were able to leave the bubble from Rexdale to St.
0: Um, Man, like so many things from learning how to coincide with people from a different environment, like trying to see things from people's, di- 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 people's perspectives, you know, um, that helped me a lot because I always saw things from the way I grew up, you know, and felt like, it was the world against me. So I realized I'm not the only person that's gone through rough things, you know? I'm not the only person that's had a, a rough upbringing. Like people, there's different forms of having a rough upbringing. So um, I'll say that definitely um, learning how to, um, how to train officially I, th- I used to think I knew how to train, you know, uh, but I didn't. And also uh, the, the, the big thing, this was the process of going to even, not even just um, St effects going to Montreal. So I went to Montreal. I played at, uh, Vanier college. Right. And at the time that I was at Vanier college, I was kind of like, uh, I was, how do I say it? I was, I was, um, there's two things. I, I, I am mean, two stories I'm gonna tell you. I went from so in Rexdale, like I used to sell drugs. Right. And I was around a lot of drug dealers. Mm-hmm. and I left that and when I went to Vanier, I was around guys that were like pursuing football also, but they were always like smoking weed and doing stuff on the side, right? And we used to party a lot in Montreal. Montreal was a great place for partying too, but we used to party a lot and just do a lot of, you know, smoke weed and all that stuff. But at that time, I felt like that was good because I left the drug dealers and now I'm with guys that, you know, just doing drugs. So they're not as bad, you know? So in my head at that time, I thought it was good. And sometimes you don't know what good is till you see it, right? So. I felt that was good, and that was progress for me up until then because I got away from my old friends, you know. And and I'm happy I did because some of my friends end up getting locked up, you know. And one of my best friends was in jail for about six years, and this was like somebody I was like this with, like we were like peanut butter and jelly, two peas in a pot. Like you were always around each other. Like we should share, share clothes. It was like that that tight. And uh, he got locked up, and I always wonder, like, man, had I stayed? I would have been with him, you know? And at the same time, I do have some survivor's guilt because I feel like, man, like, had I saved, maybe I could have helped him and helped steer him. But I realized that, you know what, people are going to make their decisions uh, for themselves, no matter what, you know, you, you can't hold somebody's hand. And it's it's been a tough pill to swallow, but over time, I've learned that. Uh, the next thing is is that I learned, um, I learned that, I'll tell you a story. In my uh, first year at Vanier, at I was a walk-on at Vanny, by the way, like I never got recruited. One of my, one of my friends uh, was there. Um, so after high school, I took the semester off kind of, I was just working and working and uh, just doing nothing pretty much. And one of my friends who I played, uh, played football with, um, rep football with was at Vanny college. And I saw it on uh, Facebook or something. I don't even know what I saw. I don't even know if Facebook was around then, but I saw it on something and uh, he was just like I was just like yo, what's going on there? And he's like yo, yo, life is good, whatever. I was like that, that's big, you know. And I just felt like he was doing something big. Like this guy's still playing football, next level. So I, I kind of was like, you know, like impressed. And then I was like, yo, what's the football like there? He's like, yo, it's pretty good still, you know. He's like, there's guys on my team that are getting getting opportunities to go play university and play down south. A lot of people at Vanier would go down south. It was like an opportunity for a lot of people to upgrade their marks and go down south to the States. And he's like, yo, you should come. I was like, really? I was like, you think I could play it? He's like, yo, yeah, definitely you can play. It. I was just like, oh, okay. So I applied to the school Went whatever. I applied to Vanier and, and another CJP. I got in, into both of them, but I decided Vanny because that's where my mind was at the whole time. And I had a lot of friends there. So I get to Vanier and it's winter semester. So uh, I don't really know the guys on the team, but I'm working out with a couple of guys. And um, nobody really knows me. Right. And then we have our spring camp and in our spring camp, I did okay. Like I didn't really stand out like crazy, but I did okay. The summer comes, I train my butt off in the summer. And then I come back to the school and I'm like way better than what I was. And to the point where the coach was asking me when my receiver coach was like, yo, like you look faster. Like you just look so much smoother. Like what, what happened? I was like, Yeah, like I had time to train over the summer. And he was just like, okay. Then he saw me for who I was, right? I became a starter in my first year at Vandy. starter for like first few games. And then I got comfortable. I got comfortable being a starter uh, to the point where I just wasn't putting in the same amount of effort as I was in the summer. I wasn't putting the same amount of effort when I needed to prove myself and I got benched. I got benched for like half, the halfway point of the season. I got benched, barely played. But I, I rubbed it off like I didn't care, whatever, whatever. Cool. I know I have next year, anyways. I didn't even expect to play much in my first year. You know what I'm saying? So, second year comes. Um, I'm better than I was the year before. Uh, I always, always worked hard in the summer. Summer times are like, that's my grind time. Um, and the reason why, you know what? The reason why, I'm going to pause from the story for a sec. The reason why, and even when I was at X, every time I came home for the summer, it was my grand time because it brought me back to reality. It made me realize that what I was doing things for. Like every time I would come home, I'll kick it with my boys, and I will realize that these guys are still doing the same things they were doing before I left. You know what I mean? I realized that they weren't growing, and and I saw that gave me a visual, um, like visual in person uh, lesson of how far I have come from where I was. I saw where I was to where I came from, and then I, and to where I came from, and I realized, okay, yo. I'm I'm making moves. I gotta keep it up. I gotta keep it up. I don't wanna be like my old self. So every time I came back in the summer, I pushed even harder and it it ignited me for whenever I left. So anyways, back to the Montreal story. Uh, There was this one in the second year, same thing had happened. I was killing it. You know, I'm a starter. And I think it was like week two or three and we were at practice and we were were doing special teams. And uh, on special teams, For those of you who don't know, special teams is like the third aspect of football. Like there's there's offense and then there's defense and then special teams. Special teams anytime the ball is being kicked. And usually the guys who play special teams on like most most uh, university teams or um, or uh, what's it called college teams, they're usually not like the. I shouldn't know. You know, I'm not even gonna say that. During special teams practice, people don't usually try as hard, right? It's usually the guys that don't get that much playing time that try their best no matter what, right? So I was a starter and I was feeling and feeling myself. And we were uh, practicing just something simple, like pre- we were doing punt. And all I had to do was step to the right and make sure I blocked my person and my gap was was sound. And uh, in front of me was one of my boys who's actually plays in the CFL right now. Uh, his name's Corey Watson. And uh, I thought Corey, you know, we were both play both receiver, you know, we're both chill, you know, like, you know, I didn't think he's gonna give it all he had. I thought he was just gonna, you know, we're just gonna go through the motions, right? And Corey went full speed down the gap and uh, almost blocked the punt. I was like, oh, word? Like, bro, for real? So I um, after he did that, kind of just walked to uh, the the huddle. And little did I know, my coach was staring at me the whole time. He was watching the whole time. He blew his whistle and in front of everybody, he's like, Kwame, I don't get it. You have a look, you have a size, you have a speed, you have the hands. But where the mother eff it is the heart, you have no flipping heart. That's why last year, you were doing good. And we bet you because you have no heart. All you do is, is come around here thinking you're this and that, but you have no heart. You're never going to play because you have no heart. And he just, he just gave it to me, dog, like gave it to me to the point where, yo, I couldn't even say nothing. Yo, after that practice. Usually when we're in a locker room, we we'll all kick it, have some jokes and whatnot. And then I lived with like four other guys in a house that was across, across the street from school. Mm-hmm. We would all usually walk together and go home and get some food or something. And after that, you know, I went to a locker room, a change. I didn't say nothing to anybody. I walked home by myself. I went home, took a shower, went in my room, closed the door. I didn't, I didn't even come out for like the whole day. He literally, literally called me out, and he he called me on the way I needed to be called out. Like I felt like, what am I doing with myself? Like I felt like nobody. The reason why I say this is that he taught me a lesson at that time. He taught me the importance of consistency. See, I felt comfortable. I was comfortable doing like what I what I did before, and I felt like I was in a good place, and I needed I could take my foot off the gas pedal, and things are just gonna happen for me. But. He, he made me realize that consistency is the key to life. I, I always got to keep my foot on the gas, but I can't just be happy being a starter. Okay, you're a starter, now what? Now what? Be an all-star, be, be a consistent contributor to our offense. Don't think things are just gonna happen for you. So he taught me consistency is key. And I learned, I know I learned this lesson because when I got to university, like I said, I was a captain for three years at St. FX. And when, uh, at the beginning of the year, when we announce who the captains are, the coaches announce who the captains are, they say a little speech about them, right? And my coach, my receiver coach, uh, coach Donnie D, he 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 cut he said some stuff about me. He didn't even say my name, he's like, This guy is gonna be a captain because he is tenacious and he is relentless, and he is what an X Men football player to, should be. And when he said that, you know what I, that told me? When he said, I'm tenacious and relentless. That meant that meant I had heart. He's saying, This guy has heart, and that, that's that's huge because I came from a guy who said I had no heart to a guy that's saying I have heart, and I learned a lesson. Had this guy not said that, I would have never known if I had learned the lesson. I learned the lesson. And now with everything I do, I do with passion and with heart and with consistency. So um yeah, that that's that's how I learned not to get comfortable. Sorry for the long story.
2: No, that's awesome. Seriously. Holy.
1: No. Yeah, like I'm the I can I can totally relate to your story because even when I came into my first year last year, you know um the first two games i um i played like 20 minutes the second game i started right you know even and i remember the third game even after the second game you know i had like six points in the fourth quarter everyone's like oh this is this, this i was feeling myself and i was posting on ig all this stuff that week of practice was like terrible like i didn't play well at all and then um, one of our bets came back so the third game after a week of starting i didn't even play the next game like mm. i i didn't play at all so i'm like i'm like what why am i why am i not playing what the heck but then it, it, I learned throughout the season, like you can't get too high, you can't get too low because like that week I was like, oh, I, six points. Even after that game, like we went to a house party, everyone's like, ah, you got two threes and all that stuff. I was boosting myself up and then that whole week of practice, everyone could call me Mr. 100% because I was two for two from three, right? So it boosted in my head. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. And then the third next game, literally at the end of the bench, didn't see the floor, didn't play. And just like, I learned like from after that, I was like, you can't be comfortable. Like, no. one moment you're high, one moment you're on the bench. So mm-hmm. just hearing your story, I can totally relate to that.
0: Yeah, and I think we all do that, man. Like, at some point, another, like it's part of the ego. Like, we feel like we're good enough. We feel like we're the ish, you know. And that's something we got to be gotta put the ego in check, you know. Um, we, always, we, we always have to tell ourselves, okay, we can always be better. You know, we can't be just good enough. You got to be better than just good enough, you know. So... Um, it's, it's an inner battle. We can't be just happy with what people say. It's an inner battle. We just got to continue to grind and continue to prosper. Simple as that. So
2: um,
0: I hope you learned that lesson. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. hey, well, the first time I had my ego shattered was in my first year and it was the most uncomfortable thing ever because came from grade 12, me and the other guys being recruited. We were all ranked, I think, top 150 in Canada. And then uh, we were playing. This is before I got injured, it was in preseason scrimmaging with the guys and (laughs) I got subbed up. I'm tired. I'm like, I literally feel like I'm going to pass out. Guy subs me off because I'm, you know, messing up. Coach comes, pulls me to the middle of court and I got cussed out for, you know, you're not giving an effort. You're not helping out your team. Your team needed you and you backed out. You just gave up. And like, he called me into his office after and was happy with how I handled it. But after that, it was like, you know, it was reality slap. And then to boot right after that, I go tear my ACL. I'm injured. I'm out. Come back. And, you know, you're feeling you were, Comfortable before, and I was in good shape, and I didn't realize I got comfortable with I'm injured. The process of just coming back, I wasn't really putting in the effort. And then my coach calls me over one time. This is Coach Chang. This was before Coach Corey. You know, I've learned a lot from Coach Corey, but this was like the biggest reality stop I had. He calls me over and goes, "Hey, Jason, I just need to let you know, like, you're putting on weight. You're getting a little fat." And then it was like, "Okay, now I need to start trying again." So those two, those two moments, I will never forget, and they've kind of changed. 100% 100% mm-hmm. changed everything. Very uncomfortable at the time being, but definitely learned. Yeah, lot, you definitely though.
0: need you need the coaches to keep it real, you know? So yeah. shout out to all the coaches that keep it real. Oh
2: my gosh, our 100%. coach, Corig, Coach right. our, our coach now
1: keeps it real. Like he does not BS anything. He will tell you straight to your face. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't sugarcoat anything. That's why I respect about him because a lot of coaches, some coaches, especially when you get recruited, they tell you what you want to hear.
2: Yeah. Some coach
1: will tell you straight up. Like I remember Coach Kyle Perry in like Kentucky, right? He told, he tells some players, listen, I don't need you, but I want you. And like Coach Corey the same way, he didn't say it the same way, but like he gives you that vibe to listen, I don't need you. Like there's other kids that can recruit, but I want you. So mm-hmm. from the jump, like he just keeps it straight up. And that's what you need for a young player. You know, I came, Jason came in at 17, I came in at 19. Like you need that as a teenager because you are coming from high school and you know, you're the guy, you get all the buckets and you get all the opportunities. You come to university and you kind of have that um that you know you're kind of complacent because you think oh i deserve to play you know because i was this i was that i got all these
0: awards you're, you're expecting to play
1: yeah, yeah like yeah. you have that like you have like the aura about you so listen i'm like i'm the big man I, I deserve to play bro you just got here like no one knows you no one cares about you put in the put your head down and go to work yeah, like, no one cares about what you did in high school right. that's what i learned in my first two weeks like i kept talking people kept saying bro you talk about high school too much bro. no one cares about what you did in high school <laughs> this is not high school no more so yeah
0: you know what like that's a big thing you just said right there because here's the thing. If you live in the past, then you fail to be present in the present. And therefore you don't have a future. If you live in the past, you fail to exist in the present. And therefore you have no future. You have to be all in the here and now. Whatever you're going to do at this point in this time. Cause the past is past. Past doesn't past doesn't mean anything. We just talked about ten seconds ten seconds ago doesn't mean anything. What we're talking about right now is life is what matters. That's how we we gotta attack every day. What are we doing right here, right now? Simple as that.
1: Like what you've been hearing so far. Make sure to follow us on IG at Lakers Locker Room and subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're at it, where you can find clips of all our episodes and video content associated with the podcast. Part two of the Lakers Locker Room starts now. So once you finished from St. FX, you had a brief professional career at um, on CFL for the Toronto Argonauts. What was that experience like?
0: Bro, I'm a kid from Toronto, man. I'm a kid from Toronto, so it was, it was surreal. It was surreal. Like, I just remember... Uh, first day at training camp I had my Argos helmet and just staring at it for like I don't even know how long just having that iconic A on on my helmet wearing the gear it was it was surreal man and the experience like I'll never forget like I remember going into the uh, Rogers Center and just being on the field look around looking in the stands and just you know just realizing that I used I used to be in the stands I used to be watching on TV, you know, and now I'm on this field and I'm playing. So it was it was a great experience. Um, Short lived. Um, the world of professional sports isn't, isn't always uh, always nice, but learned a lot from that experience, and I'm forever grateful for that.
1: So once you did that, you also had another great experience. You also had a chance to be on the Amazer's Canada for season six. Me personally, I was telling Jason before we started um, talking, you know, I watched the Amazer's Canada up to season three or four around that area. And I just stopped. So hearing that you were on the Amazer's Canada sounds pretty awesome. So what was that whole experience? You gotta like? go
0: back and you gotta watch season six,
1: bro. <laughs> I'm to just for you, but I'm just for you, Kwame. i might have to go back to it, but, um, yeah so what was that whole experience like for you because just by knowing the show you get to go to different places do all these crazy things like what was it like for you
0: do you want to know something um prior to us being on the show i never watched the show bro i never watched the show (laughs) we got we got um we got um nominated to be on the show because it was the Heroes edition right Mm -hmm. so we're going through the audition process and um I realized that yo, we're kind of getting far, so we actually might be on the show. So, I'm, so then at that point, I decided to go watch an episode, and I came back to my my boy Dylan. I said, "Yo, bro, I don't want to do this no more, bro. Like, I, was like listen, I don't do these things, you know. Like, it was just too 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 wild for me. I was like, that's not me." And uh, Dylan was like, "Bro, like, you know, like." Let's just, let's just do it, like think about it as an opportunity to represent like Fort McMurray and then like all the kids that we mentor, like, you know, to like have them on our back and just show up for them. I was like, oh shoot, you're right. So that that was my why. That was bigger than my fear of being on the show and just putting myself out there. Like I wasn't about that, but for the kids, you know, and just, just to, I'm all about providing inspiration and motivation, you know, if I can do that in any way shape or form, I will do it. So saw so was opportunity, it was great, man. It was, I'm so glad I did it. So shout out to Dylan for convincing me. And I'm so glad I did it. It was it was nothing short of amazing. I got to travel the country and see so many different places in this country that I never would have saw you know, go to places place like Dawson City, Yukon, uh, you know, I'm a kid from Rexdale. So going to university was like big for me in itself. But going to, like Dawson City, going to PEI, um, places in, in BC, going to Jakarta in Indonesia, Mexico, so many places I got to travel for free for six weeks, you know, so it was a free vacation. Um, it was not easy, you know, it was, it was a pressure filled experience, but it was an enjoyable experience. And uh, it's some, I don't think I would have been able to enjoy them the way I did. If I didn't have the partner that I had, you know, like my, my boy Dylan's a real one, he's, he's like a free spirit, easygoing guy. And we just connected. And the thing about the amazing race is that they say that it can make or break your relationships. Like I, there's so many like husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends that have broken up because of the race or, or best friends that aren't even that tight anymore because of the race. Cause like you're around each other like 24 seven. Right. So, um. Dylan and I, we just, man, we're like, we're we're, we're like yin and yang, you know what I mean? We compliment each other. And that race like made our relationship even stronger to this day. So um I'm I'm grateful for it. And I've had a lot of opportunities uh because of that race. So um it it's a, it was an enjoyable experience. And I represented so much people. I represented more than myself. I represented the kids from Fort McMurray, I represented the St. Effects uh, alumni and students I represented. Like yeah, People from Rexdale represented Ghana. You know what I mean? Like, ugh, what more could I ask for?
1: What was, um, was there like a part? Cause you came third place on that season, correct?
0: Yes, we did. We
1: right. Did. So was, what, was there like a leg or like, there was like a, you know, an activity you guys are doing where you're thinking, okay, we can actually win this.
0: Honestly, yo, even the, even the, in the, la- the finale, the finale, um, which we end up coming third mm-hmm. and, um, I honestly thought we were going to win, to tell you the truth. At the beginning, I felt like we were going to win. We won the Mexico leg, and then the next one became second. Uh, The second last one became second. So I'm just like, okay, yeah, we're going to win this. We're going to win this. And sometimes, you know what, man? Sometimes you just get gotten, bro. You just get gotten. It's just that one challenge. Uh, I'm not going to tell you guys what it is. You're going to have to go watch it, but you just get gotten. And uh, um, it is what it is. We didn't win, but you know what? In my my heart, in my mind, I think Dylan and I both won because – the things that ha- have been coming our way and are coming our way are gonna be bigger than winning that race. You know, the people we be, were able to impact from being on that race is 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 the reward in, in itself. So um, I'm confident, you know, and I'm I'm appreciative of, of, of the opportunity.
1: Um, I wanna switch gears now, um, you know, here on the Lakers Locker, you know, we pride ourselves on having, you know, serious conversation, you know, there's time, there's things that people are afraid to talk about that we talk about, you know, we're here to have, open conversation, hear what people have to say. And hopefully people can listen to this podcast and get something that they, they didn't know before or perspectives they never heard before, and they can go within the and use it how they please. So with that being said, you know, we talked a little bit about your upbringing, you know, at the beginning of the podcast in part one. So I'm seeing here that you went through some stuff, you know, about childhood friends, you know, gun violence, drugs and all that stuff. Can you just talk a bit about what that time of your life was like and how it shaped you to be the person you are today?
0: Um. Yeah, that time of life was, uh, like I said, it wasn't easy and it was rough, but at that time, I thought it was normal, you know, and that, that's the scarier part about it. You know, um, I remember when I moved to um Guinness, Nova Scotia, and I'm I'm, I'm just walking on the street and random people are saying hi to me and smiling at me, and I felt uncomfortable. You know, I felt uncomfortable because I'm like, why are, you, why are you looking at me? Because um, Where we're, we're in Toronto, like, yo, somebody, somebody's looking at you smiling and like you feel like they're up to something. You just don't trust that, you know, yeah. screw face capital of the world. Everybody just, you know, hustle and muscle about their business. So I felt mm-hmm. uncomfortable with that. I remember even just walking close to the curb um, on the street and just walking close to the curb, people would stop and let you cross the street, you know, like, so that was an eye-opening experience that it made me realize that the way I grew up wasn't right. It was adorable. You know, like the way I grew up was not right. And that that way of life that the East Coasters have was more positive. Um, But like I said, I wouldn't trade it because I'm able to walk in so many different rooms. I'm able to connect with so many different people. I'm able to do what what I do right now, I wouldn't be able to do. You know, I I work with a lot of uh, uh, people that are incarcerated, you know, and I'm able to connect with them because of my upbringing. but I had it rough, man. I had it rough. I, like, to tell you the truth, man, I'm fortunate to be alive. I've I've had situations and have been involved in situations on the, on the aggressor side and the victim side of, of gun violence and, and, and of violence in itself. Um, I got stabbed before, you know, I got, I got sliced uh, above my eye um, and I got sliced over here. And uh, I just remember I just remember um, after what what had happened, going into a uh, McDonald's locker room, not not really, a McDonald's washroom, and looking in the mirror and seeing blood dripping my, down my eye, and I had no idea about this. And then all I see is my chin is hanging, and blood just flowing down. All you see is the flesh. And when I really think about it, I so I got in a fight with uh, some people that I shouldn't. I could have usually walked away. It was like eight people against me and my boy. And um, it was something I could have walked away from, but I stayed because of the ego. I stayed because I didn't want to look like a punk, right? And I look back and I I think about the the moment, I I had a choice, I had a choice. There was a moment that I had a choice. I had a choice to walk away and never have scars on my face, not be traumatized for the rest of my life. When I had a choice to stay and uh, get cut on my eye, which this this cut cut right here is like literally inches away, starts right here. And my eyeball is like right here. I I could have been blind in this eye. This cut right here starts right here and I could have easily been slit in my throat. So I had a choice to walk away and nothing ever happened and and uh, be and be good. And I had a choice to get involved in a fight that um I could have scar scars on my my face for the rest of my life. That's so a constant reminder. I'll be traumatized my whole life. Um I could have been blind in this eye. I could have been dead, you know, and I had a choice. And I realized that no matter what, I would have made the same choice no matter what, because of my upbringing, because of where I grew up. I grew up in an environment where like, if you, if you look weak, like, yo, nobody's gonna talk to you. Like, You're forever gonna feel it. Like you have to defend yourself. Nobody can disrespect you. If somebody disrespects you, you handle it with violence. That's the answer. Violence is the answer to any type of problem. I grew up in an environment where my older cousin used to make myself and 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 my friends fist fight each other, like little, literally fist fight each other, punch each other in the face and stuff, just to toughen us up. People I had no issues with, just to toughen us up. At at eight, eight nine years old, that's the environment I grew up in. So, um it was it was it was it was it good? No, it wasn't good. Uh, would I would I uh, urge somebody else to go through that? No, I wouldn't. But. Like I said, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. You know, um, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, and just um, my environment also made me not want to try in school um, because of stereotypes I seen on TV, uh, because of people around me. You know. Um, the representation I saw of myself as a, as a, as a black male on TV was like, you know, the, the, the comedians, um, the womanizers, the, the drug dealers and all that stuff that was already in my physical environment. So that's the, that's the, the, um, the narrative I went with, you know, that's the identity I placed on my, on myself, which made me not try in school and made me skip school. And when I was at school, I was a class clown. Right when I was in school, I was I was a cloud. I was doing being disrespectful to teachers for no reason, or I was skipping, just chilling in the hallways and and just you know going around the back to smoke some weed and sell some drugs and you know playing playing dice in a, in a corner somewhere. Uh, that was me. That was me. To the point where I got expelled from uh, one school, I got expelled from summer school, um, and. That's all because of the way I was raised, you know. And if it wasn't for one person investing in me, investing in in me as a as a student, I don't know where I'd be, you know. My, this teacher that took me under her wing and and saw me for who I can be, and and positioned me to be successful. If it wasn't for her, I would have never had a confidence because at that point I was at a very low point. Like I was I I was at the vibration of of shame. Shame is like one of the lowest frequencies a person can ever have. You know to be at, at a vibration of shame is very hard to move up you know and that's why people get disengaged from society that's where depression kicks in that's where mental health problems happen that's when people kill themselves you know and that's how low i was you know because the education system deemed me as dumb essentially and i felt like that And i felt embarrassed so this was all a product of what i where i grew up around so um yeah i don't know if that answers your question but yeah.
1: No, it does too. And um, basically what you were talking about, I'm glad you talked about it because last year, there was a song that Jason and I both love was called The Bigger Picture by Lil Baby. And one of the lyrics that he says is, we're, we're just a product of our environment, how the bleak can they blame us? What you just said was something that I, I really want to talk about because you know, when Lil Baby said that it's true, but you just showed the contrast to what, what you just said. Yes, you're a product of your environment, but you have a choice. You can let it consume you and let it take with everything that you can become or do what you did and you can rise above it. See, this is the thing that we talk about black people, because when you look at society, how it is, you know, black people have to work just as twice as hard just to be recognized as equal. And so many people who grew up in the hood, like I said, Rexdale, Toronto, Jane and Finch, Regent Park, Flemington Park, like all these people see are exposed to like, you know, drugs and like gang violence growing up and they think that's all they become. But you just illustrated, which perfectly was that yes, you can be from that environment, but you can make a choice to say, listen, yes, this is where I'm from, but I'm gonna rise above it and I'm gonna move forward and I'm gonna do something with my life. So hopefully that when I get that knowledge, I can give it back to my community and help other people come out of that same situation that I once was in.
0: That's facts, that's facts, well said. Like at the end of the day, this is this thing. Perception is everything in life. Perception is everything in life. The right perception will lead to the right action. The wrong perception will lead to the wrong action. And we always have a choice to decide the way we wanna proceed. We have a choice to decide if you wanna see the glass half empty or half full. You know, we have a choice to decide if we wanna be the stereotype or we wanna go against the stereotype and create a new stereotype, create a new, a new path, be a trendsetter, be a trailblazer. We have the choice, and the majority of my friends. They chose to let our environment dictate who they were, where I I, I decided to let my environment, to, to conquer my environment, not let my environment choose my end means. So um, yeah, perception is everything, guys.
2: Well, I was just gonna do a quick, you know, transition over to the podcast. Well, it's kind of your platform of being able to kind of teach the youth and all the viewers, you know, how to overcome this. I think it's amazing. Besides yourself, there's only been one other person I've seen do it. His name is Jason Wilson in Detroit. And he does it through martial arts, teaching kids. And uh, I think he was like eight mile, you know, how to overcome mm. stuff. But I was like, I was saying to you earlier, I was listening to your podcast. It's amazing. Like it really does, you know, perception and put well, put a perspective for me myself. I'm, I'm from a small town. I don't really see that stuff. It's a completely different lifestyle out here. So when I get to actually hear it and get, you know, almost get this, that sense of reality, it, it changed it for me. You know I, even though I haven't experienced it now, I'm able to kind of guide, individuals who I see that are in trouble to your platform to kind of, you know, learn and educate themselves. So, I mean, on that topic, I just kind of wanted to ask you a few questions about your podcast there. I, uh, to do with the amazing race, it's your, your partner there, Dylan, he's in the podcast as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 yeah, That's him. So I, you know, the connection on there seems awesome. You want to tell us a little bit about your podcast there?
0: Yes. So, um, that, that podcast was all Dylan's idea. It was all Dylan's idea. So Dylan is, um, he's a youth mentor on a First Nations Reserve in Fort, in just north of Fort McMurray in a place called Fort Mackay. And uh, he's done amazing things there. Like I, I've helped him run some programs there and he, what he's doing is changing the narrative for a bunch of these kids. Like he's created a youth council. Um, he's, he's helped some kids play football that kids had to join my team. And now they're playing, still playing football for a team that he started there. And uh, he's just building leaders out there, empowering these kids. And I, I remember being there and I'm, I'm just like looking around at the kids. I, I see that these kids just love being at the youth center that he's at, like, that's their like safe haven. That's the positive place in their life. Like they don't want to leave. Like when it's time to leave, they don't want to leave. That's a good thing, you know? And I just, I always told Dylan, I'm like, yo bro, you can't leave this place. Like, <laughs> like these kids need you, you know? So uh, he's doing amazing things and him and I have always gotten like, you know, me being a football coach and a teacher and, and I connect well with kids, There, they, people always hit us up for like um, advice on how to connect with their kid or um, to talk to their kid and to help their kid decide on school. So like so many different things. And I'm just like, yo, you, you can do this, you know? But everybody assumed that because we're the football guys, you know, like it's easy for us to connect with the kids but it's easy for us to connect with the kids because we don't talk to them as kids we talk to them as people you know mm-hmm. we we have this relationship aspect so um and that's our style that's what, that's our, my that's my style exact per se um, dylan has a little bit of a different style but we're able to connect with people and so we realized that you know we got to do something on this because we see we hear so many podcasts and so many people doing interviews and they don't really talk too much about this mentorship aspect you know like dylan was telling me he heard a um an interview with uh, Smoke Dog. I don't know if you guys know who Smoke Dog is. Yeah. No, not Smoke Dog. Uh, D Smoke. D Smoke. Sorry. Yeah. D, yeah. So D Smoke. Um, D Smoke comes from. He was a former teacher. You know, he does a lot of stuff with youth, and he, we heard an interview. And the interview kind of just asked a little question about that, but you could tell like D Smoke wanted to dive in a little bit more deeper because he's passionate about that. You know, when people do interviews, like. Nobody likes to hear the same questions over and over. Like you, you, you like your questions that make you think and, and questions that can can help you talk about something you're passionate about, you know, and you could tell D smoke wanted to keep talking. And so Dylan was just like, yo, bro, like we gotta do something on this. Like there's something there. No, this is like a genre that nobody's really touching. So we decided to do it. And we brought in Izzy who's like Dylan's uh, best friend. And uh, I've known her for years also. And we just felt like that was a perfect, like mix of people because Dylan taps into like the first nations kids, you know, the indigenous kids and indigenous community uh, slash, you know, like uh, Caucasian community, let's keep it 100. Um, Izzy is a biracial um, female who's also bisexual. So she taps into female demographic and then also on um, the LGBTQ plus demographic. And then myself, Afro-Canadian, you know, sports guy, all that stuff. You, you already know what I could tap into. I think I could tap into so many different things to yeah. tell you. I don't think I'm um, just those, those. But we just felt like we were well rounded and well diverse. So I feel like we're we're a power team and um, you know, I am I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this because it's not just about a podcast. We were planning on doing bigger things, you know, do uh speaking engagements, do or do workshops for adults and for youth. The biggest are things that we wanna be the bridge between the generations. We wanna be the bridge to connect.
2: So yeah. tuned in, I love it. And keep up that great work on the podcast, man. Thanks, it, it, it is honestly amazing. Appreciate it, bro. So yeah,
1: tying everything together based on because of time and everything we talked about, why is this so important for you to use your platform to, there's 2 parts. so why is it important for you to use your platform to promote positive messages? And for the kid that was in your situation growing up, why is this, what advice would you give for them to come out of that situation the way you did?
0: It's important. It's important because even because of the second thing you just said, it's important for me to use my, my uh, platform because my life mission is to be that person that I needed when I was younger, to be that person I needed when I was younger, to be that, that figure or that role model that's relatable. Because I, I had people come talk to me, and, you know, come say a speech or whatever at my schools. But I never really pay attention because like, OK, life was good for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, let's keep it 100. Like, we mean, you we don't relate. You know what I mean? Right. So um, I want to be that person to for all the youth, you know, whether they had life good, whether they came from the slums like me, I want to be that figure because I, underst- I understand both sides. I've lived both sides. So my, my whole aim and my whole mission in life is to tap into every individual I meet, young and old, you know, tap in, connect with them, um, help hopefully inspire them to be, to reach their potential. And, um, for the kid that was like me, I want to tell that person, you know, what, what your life is right now, isn't what your life is going to be forever. What your life is right now isn't like what your life is going to be forever. However, if you don't decide to take a step towards something that that you're passionate about, it will be your life forever. So first, you have to figure out something that you're passionate about, establish a routine, and take a step. Because when you take a step, that's not it. When you take a step, that's not it. You take another step. But that's not it either then you take another step and you keep taking steps to get closer to where you wanna be. And you know what? You may not get to where you wanna be right away, but I'll tell you this, after five steps or so, you look around, you're not gonna be where you were before. You're gonna be in a different environment. You're gonna be with people that are aspiring to be where you wanna be. And you can look back, look down and see where you were and see the progress you've made. So keep taking steps. Every day, every opportunity, take a step to get closer. Get 1% better every day. And I promise you, at some point, you will get to where you want to be. But it starts with taking a step.
1: Kwame, I don't know what to say, man. Thank you so much for coming out. Like, I think me and Jason and I had a lot of great conversation. We learned a lot from you personally. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us and don't everybody
0: listening. Gone. Appreciate that. Appreciate the opportunity, man. Honestly, appreciate the opportunity. And you guys, you guys keep doing this um, this, this podcast because I think it's well needed, especially in, in 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 your environment and at Nipissing. And I I, I think just seeing young leaders is is it, it warms my heart. You know, so you, you the fact that you guys are doing this it, it takes courage to do this. It takes a lot of courage. Not anybody can just get up on a, on a uh, computer and say, hey, I want to do a podcast and just put themselves up there. It does not take, it's, it's not easy. It takes courage, okay? So uh, for, for you guys to do this, just continue to do it, do it and continue to build it up because what you're doing, other people are watching. And you're, you guys are right now creating, creating something for Nipissing University that hopefully will last forever.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Anyways, that's a wrap on another edition of the Lakers Locker. I want to thank our guest Kwame Ose for joining us. You can find the videos on YouTube and listen to a full interview on all podcast GM platforms. Thank you, Kwame. Thank you. Peace.